give me a place Make it map. happen. Give me a place map for Springfield. Gentlemen. Yes, Ed. And there we were in Chiang Mai, Thailand, being hosted by Pete Johnson. Welcome. So I'll, I'll provide you guys an introduction, which will happen earlier in the podcast, but we're here with Mr. Pete Johnson, Mr. Pete Castellan. So we got the Pete squared. Mr. Fe- Phil Williams. I almost called you Feet. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Williams and yeah. and the great Ed I Griffith. A lot worse. I have no doubt. So we're just here talking a little shit. We're we're part of a, a work summit, and we just um, had a nice dinner after a long day of of meetings, trying to solve all the problems of the world, and uh, we only sold half of them. Why? Tomorrow's another day. You gotta look at the glass not half empty but half full. Fill. Half full fill. And um then we had a nice dinner and then we we climaxed with with breaking stuff at one what was it called? Rage room where you smash glass bottles and Pete, what, what was your opinion of that? Well, I've not seen that in Thailand before, so that was a great thing to see. 150 baht, which is like four and a half USD, is amazing to smash up stuff for like 30 minutes. There was printers, there was speakers. We were, we were teeing up each other for the, with the glass bottles and knocking one out of the park. Uh, that's, uh, that's a baseball. Yeah. It, it was like watching Babe Ruth. Are you speaking man. to like my girth? No, I'm or speaking to your baseball ability. Or my fantastic swinging skills. Your baseball ability. <laughs> well, yeah, Babe Ruth, you just like point and you're just like, I'm going to smack it right there. Kind of like your golf Just swing. crush it. Like your golf swing. Yeah, you just point. Yeah. Man, that, that was a riot. Like Marilyn though. Monroe was his girlfriend. Oh, well. What did she ever want to don't dilute the situation. Hey, <laughs> until she wasn't. Uh, man, but that was a riot. So so you live in Thailand, and you're hosting us. And Dude, tell us the coolest like three things about living in Thailand. Because it seems pretty fantastic so far. We just break shit, we go to nice dinners, we see all our friends. But what are the really... I mean, you, you like can, you can, th- you know, we're we're already experiencing the best. Yeah, I mean, what are you the can, things that are near that? You can get five star style places for dirt cheap. Yeah, so we're right now in a five star hotel. We're paying a hundred USD a night. Nice, uh, nice rooms here. Um, you can you can go to the UK and pay the same price and get a two star hotel. So, you, like, the money goes a long way here. Um, for for me, I'm living in a three bedroom house, um, swimming pool, garden, and uh, paying like seven eight hundred dollars a month for that. Um, in the UK, you can't get that. So, yeah, the money goes a long way. Um, yeah, th- there are difficulties living here for sure, but um, the the pros definitely outweigh the cons over here. Um, Money going a long way. The weather's so great. The roads are great around Chiang Mai. Um, 
and just getting around is so much easier. Um, for for me, just living in Thailand is such an easy way of life. But getting getting around, with the exception of like the lack of safety with regard to transportation, well which which we've <laughs> spoken about a bit today. Yeah, yeah. Thailand uh, really are proud of their uh, first in in Asia for being uh, on the ref uh, death rates for on the roads. But um, but not everybody dies, right? No, I mean, I mean, yeah. some people just get dismembered or, <laughs> or handicapped. I mean, yeah. first time I ever did the somersault was in Thailand. Phil, tell us this somersault. Yeah, story. I forgot. Tell us <laughs> the somersault, please. So we were we were at a similar <laughs> event. <laughs> so there we were. <laughs> we, were we were at a similar yeah, event. We yeah, we were. We just finished. So you're a really saying there's still potential for this to happen at this event? No, I, I learned from my mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it's not well, to most, say one, most of them. one of the other nine team members. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's just true. So, yeah, we'd just finished a conference. It was a really good conference. We'd been out having, a, again, a very good meal. We'd had a few drinks. And so I, I went to you know, make a phone call. I, I crossed a road. Um, and one of the mistakes I made was looking both ways on a one-way street. So I looked, and the road was clear. Unfortunately, it wasn't, wasn't clear on the way I hadn't looked. So there you was just said you looked both well, ways. No, uh, yeah. no, I didn't. I, I should have looked. Yeah, I, I looked. Look yeah, I looked both ways okay. on a one-way street in the sense of, were I in England, I would have looked in All the direction way. of both ways of traffic. And unfortunately, the way I looked was not the way the traffic was going. So I continued to walk. There was a screech of brakes. <laughs> the world spun. <laughs> you made a very poor assumption that people would actually follow the traffic laws. So uh, I mean, absolutely. Why yeah. would we think that people yeah. have followed the traffic laws? Yeah, so, so I, 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 I heard a screech of brakes. I did my somersault. <laughs> I, I, I collected my shoes. Uh, and I then went to collect my friend and who took me to hospital to have my head stitched. Oh, my God. How many stitches? Six. In Thailand. In Thailand. Uh, the, the, the Thai healthcare system is excellent. Man, I've heard the same from uh, Mr. David. Oh yeah, no, the healthcare system is great. The medical is great because they so well practiced they put in silicone inside of their bo boobs. I was going <laughs> to say, we yeah. should have got Phil like some calf, stitches, that's some easy. calf implants, <laughs> maybe some bicep implants. Hey, what are you trying to say? Hey, you know the guy that we met tonight at the bar? Uh-huh. He's a nurse. The one that was talking to us. So he could Phil's still in the running for yeah, like the calf he, implants. Take care of us. <laughs> In the event the that one of us gets somersaulted yeah. by uh, a <coughs> motorbike or a vehicle, we'll just go back to the smash room yeah. and get sewn up. If you got even there's, pl there's plenty of like cutting things there. You could excavate the wound. Maybe. You could, could handle <laughs> things right there. How did you find out he was a nurse? Talking to him, he's he's hanging out with us, and I feel like that's yeah. everybody's like bonus job. Are you though. sure he didn't just say he had a nurse's uniform? No, no. <laughs> oh my! But what surprised me? Where are we me, going here? What surprised me when he said he was a nurse? I thought, well, do you own this? You know, do you own this place? Uh, but he just works there, so I was surprised. As I a thought, nurse, I thought. Yeah. Well, no, he's a nurse, but he works nighttime at this. Club we, we visit. 
Maybe you smash he, it. Oh my god. Maybe smash he stuff. takes broken glass out of people's faces when they go into <laughs> Smash Room. Well, he, he probably knows what to do in, in the event that. Well, he has, he has like dual benefit. He can bring us warm beers and he could sew us up in the event we fucked yeah. ourselves up. They gave us yeah. a nice discount in there, though. Man, that I was mean, fantastic. We, we, so, like, we had quite a few pieces of extra smashing shit. What did it all cost? It sounded like for about twenty dollars, we 20. got beers, we got smashing shit. Uh, the the whole price for the beers and everything was fourteen hundred bucks, so it's about forty dollars. So forty dollars, and at one point there was eleven of us. <laughs> I thought it was nine, but I mean, let's just say yeah. ten. Uh, easy, yeah. ten people. Eleven. Everybody was eleven. So that's hectic. Forty dollars. That's ridiculous. Tell you, man, it, the money goes a long way in Thailand. But I mean, that doesn't play out in other countries. Like, you go to Philippines and and have a little night like this. Like, it, I mean, it's expensive. Yeah, uh, you can get like a really cheap beer. Like the, a beer in in the Philippines is really cheap, but everything else is expensive. It depends where you buy that beer. True, true story. Yeah, yeah. Depends where you buy that beer. <laughs> like I mean, I've seen guys taking a, a San Miguel out in the Philippines. Like half the price of a beer here. Like yeah, like thirty thirty baht. What like else? One dollar for a beer. I mean, it depends like what uh, business you buy that beer at, but it also depends what sort of like province or whatever. Yeah, Dude, yeah, yeah. You Which know, like <laughs> we we went on a little uh, trip to. I don't even know where we were, but. Um, it was sort of a small beach place. We stayed at a little Airbnb, and man, you're buying. I mean, it's funny, but like a forty ounce strong beer for like fifty cents. Yeah. Same beer in Manila is like four or five dollars at Seven Eleven. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, you're right, but I I always sort of put it in perspective that if you want to live like a like you're from the UK, Phil's from the UK, Pete's from the US, I'm from the US. So if you want to live like that type of Western life, I s- hella expensive in Metro Manila. Would you say that similarly it's hella expensive in Bangkok, whereas you're maybe, what, an hour and a half outside of Bangkok, that's the differentiation? Or do you, do you also feel like uh, you could find nice accommodation for unbelievably cheap in Bangkok? No, I mean, I- in terms of accommodation, um, it's definitely more expensive in Bangkok, but it's not stupid. I mean, you can find accommodation for, you know, $300 a month, like quite easy, nice accommodation, but then you can also spend like thousands, like yeah. $3,000 a month. Is there a giant disparity, or do you feel like it's more knowing the right people? Because I, f- I feel like in Philippines it was a blend, but it was more so you're trading off a lot of things. Yeah, it's 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 where in Bangkok as well, and and what kind of a condo it is, and things like that. But um, generally, it's not a huge contrast like you would have in the Philippines. But um, you know, we, we're normally looking at condos in Bangkok. If you're looking uh, outside of Bangkok, if you go to Phuket, you go to Pattaya, you go to Chiang Mai, you can get houses very easily, nice houses for rent for cheaper than condos in Bangkok. So yeah, that makes sense. 
yeah, it, it's it it just changes around a little bit where you are. Um, but in terms of like drinks and things, so Seven Eleven prices will be consistent around the whole country. Um, I feel like they probably translate uh, to Philippines and maybe perhaps to Indonesia as well. Yeah. I mean, you go to a Seven Eleven in Bangkok, and the beer is exactly the same price as it would be in fuck nowhere in the northeast of Thailand. Mm. Um, if you go to a bar in Bangkok, yeah, it's, it's going to be expensive. If you go to versus a bar, there. yeah, if you go if you go to a bar with girls and, and suddenly naked girls and the prices just keep going up, up, up and up, and you uh, you could be paying like two hundred, three hundred baht for a small beer in in one Which of these kind of bars. Like ten dollars up to ten dollars USD. Yeah, for a small beer. Um, whereas normally in a in a normal bar, you're paying a um, hundred baht, so uh, three uh, three dollars, three four dollars. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. It just depends where you're going. Um, Chiang Mai, you you don't get so many of those bars. Um, you get nice hotels. Uh, in in every place. And you'll pay a bit more in those hotels, but yeah, I mean, the the, the costs the costs are not so disparative. Like you are looking at Manila and and like Cebu or something like that. Crikey, I mean, the it's it's shocking, and and everybody thinks, oh, Southeast Asia, it's all cheap, and I'm like, eh, it's not all cheap. No, no, no. But it carries in There's Indonesia, pockets. yeah. Yeah, same. There's a lot of pockets, like in certain areas. Uh, you you could get you could you could uh, get beers for you know fifty cents equivalent to fifty cents, mm-hmm. but then you go to other areas it's equivalent to like five dollars or seven dollars. Um, as far as housing, it's it's similar. I mean, it's not like um, three hundred dollars or two hundred dollars. It's it's generally. You know, it's five six hundred bucks per month, and then you can you can also go all the way up to like three four five thousand. You see a lot of that as well. Yeah, is that just Jakarta? Uh, is if you if you're in like central Jakarta because there's a lot of expats in that region, um, it's a little bit more expensive. So where I'm at now, and and you've been there, Ed. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Pullman and, and and this region that we we're staying at now, it's a uh, it's a little bit more expensive um, versus if you go north Jakarta, it's uh, a fair amount cheaper, but um, the restaurants are so much better. So and eating out, I would say it's um it's definitely cheap. You know, I consider it cheap. Versus, you know, what what we're used to in America. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And Phil, I mean, Melbourne would just... Yeah, I mean... Take all my money. Melbourne is expensive. Yeah, I mean, you know, living in Melbourne, it's... Again, y- y- when you've been there a while, you learn to live within certain parameters. So you, you find out how to live more economically. Than, than compared to when I was in the UK. So some things are more expensive, some things are cheaper. What what I still find strange 
is the fluctuation in prices for fruit and vegetables. So you, you go in one week and you know bananas maybe um, ninety nine cents a kilo. Easy answer. Don't eat them. This is true. <laughs> um, at, at certain times they can be six. Phil likes the no. texture though. Yeah, they they can be six. Yeah, yeah. Phil loves yeah. a banana. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you know why cucumbers have cellophane on them? It's like potato, potato, yeah, bana- yeah. banana, banana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? You know why cucumbers have cellophane on them? Yeah. Please tell me. It's so you can, it's so you can eat them after you've used them. Oh, Bill, go way. bigger, go home. <laughs> cut, you cut us deep, Phil. <laughs> Jeez. All right. But again, so, talking of cucumbers, so tell us yeah. more about your bananas. Yeah, the, just, the, just the price fluctuation of fruit and veg. So you know, bananas. You know, this week they're ninety nine cents a kilo. You know, in 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 two weeks' time they may be fifteen dollars a kilo. Mm-hmm. Grapes. You know, wow. again they can fluctuate from again. Three dollars a kilo to sixteen, eighteen dollars a kilo, within two days. So the fluctuation is just nonsensical. But so th- those things are hard to navigate and hard to manage. It makes shopping very expensive. Um, but generally speaking, depending on again where you live, if you live in central Melbourne, very expensive. If you live out in the suburbs like I do, then it gets to be significantly cheaper. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's 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 pluses and minuses compared to the UK. Living in Australia is a lot better than the UK. Uh, the quality of living is much better. Do tell why. It's just, it's hard to, it's just better. You know, the, a lot of it's to do with the weather. So in the UK, um, I used to live in northwest of England. Um, so in Manchester. And in Manchester with the weather, it's either raining or about to rain. You know, <laughs> and, and you can go for, you know, three, three months without seeing the sun. No, it's like it's just grey, dull, overcast, cold, miserable, dreary, Hard drizzly drinking. weather. Yeah. Whereas in, in, in Melbourne, you know, we still get cold weather. But there's very few times where you won't see the sun during at least every single day. You know, so you, you, the weather itself is different and that has a big impact on things. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's just a, a better place to live. Yes, there's downsides, you know, there's a... Um, you know, the UK has one dangerous snake. Uh, Australia has all of the dangerous snakes and the crocodiles and the koala bears and the spiders and the kangaroos. Yeah, ev- everything's, everything's trying to kill you. Yeah, yeah. everything yeah. wants e- to kill you. Even the trees try killing you. Yeah, they, the, the trees just drop branches and try and kill you. Well, you know, kangaroos just appear out of nowhere and, and, and kill you. Hold the phone, though, for a minute. Yeah. I feel like that's where everybody in... Like the U.S. thinks about Australia is oh my god, I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna be like in an Indiana Jones movie. Like I'm gonna be dodging this and nah. throwing this yeah. away and like the, I, I mean I'm exaggerating to make a point, but they perceive it as everything's trying to kill me. Like you just verbalized. Yeah. In my opinion, having been to Australia a lot, but not lived there like you, like. I don't know. I've, I've, you know, uh, like truth be told, mainly just been in the bigger cities, but never have I gotten that sense. Yeah, it's again, it's the perception, and you know, I live in the suburbs. You know, on our housing estate, you know, we have a, a local Facebook group, and 
you, know, you see the odd picture of somebody having seen a snake in the garden or on the road or I've been there for 11 years I've seen three snakes in 11 I've seen three snakes in 11 years mm-hmm. so they're not that common spiders you know we have redbacks which is um, like a black widow but it's the Australian version and yeah we have them in the garden you know so you have to be wary but no nobody nobody's died from a snake a, a spider bite for decades yeah people have died because of spiders but not because of spider bites because what they got bit and they got infected no because not a bite. no because um, <laughs> spiders get everywhere you know so you can be driving along the road and you'll have your air vents on your car open and a huntsman will crawl out of your air vent and that scares the shit out of people so they crash into a tree so they die because of a spider but but not because the spider bit them just because the spider appeared on their dashboard yeah or they'll look in the rearview mirror and the spider will be on the back window hovering above the children's head you know it's just a scary thought and it's just people don't like spiders yeah and huntsman spiders can be 12 inches across and are they dangerous no yeah, but I, I can understand. But a 12-inch spider? I can understand. Most people don't like spiders. Dangerous if it l- jumped on your head and you were just walking down the steps. Yeah. It, yeah. That does sound like it could be dangerous. Yeah, yeah well, like it's like <laughs> uh, you never know how you'll react yeah. when the gun's pointed at you. Yeah. You know, we can all talk a big game, but if a kid dr- or if a spider dropped on my kid's head while I was driving, yeah, I'd probably crash the car. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, who knows? Yeah. And these spi- spiders that big make webs? Like no, 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 no. The huntsman east? doesn't make a web. It, it's so okay. They make a hole in the ground and it makes the web in the hole. No, that's the funnel web spider you're thinking of. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is which is um, th- there's different variations of the funnel web. Um, <laughs> the Sydney funnel web is the most venomous spider in the world. Um, you know, again, nobody's died from it for a long time because they've got anti-venom. Um, but prior to anti-venom, you know, rumors say you've got around 20 minutes from being bitten to when you're dead. Mm. So it's a quite a nasty thing. But, and, and there's, there's also other rumors saying about how vicious it is, but it isn't, you know, like most things, it tries to get away. You know, if you corner it or try attacking it, then, then, then yeah, it will, um, it'll have a go. It's got, Fangs that are one centimeter long, and they're hard enough to go through a leather shoe. So if it wants to Ooh. bite you, it's going to bite you, and and it's going to get you. But generally speaking, it will try and get away. You know, the I same know. as snakes. Snakes invariably don't want to bite you. They just you you tend to um, scare them, and they react. Uh, the exception to that is one of the snakes called a death adder, um, and it's it's sort of. That that name has evolved. It used to be the Death Adder because uh, it's got really bad hearing, and and so it, it's it, and it's also quite um, poor sighted. Never so seen a snake with big ears. So it can't. Yeah. Well, that's that's <laughs> half the problem. Yeah. And headphones. Yeah. No wonder the fuckers can hear. Yeah. Um, and the problem with the Death ad- the Death Adder or the Death Adder is that it, when it when it strikes, it doesn't strike once. It strikes multiple times. So it's not the most venomous snake. But because it attacks and bites five, six times, the venom that you then get into your body is that what makes it deadly. So, but they're they're not commonplace, you know. I mean, they're they're in the outback. They're not they're in remote places. 
you know, suburbs of Melbourne. Yeah, you, you, sort of, <laughs> you know, right so you've got to be aware and be wary. But yeah, where, we've, where we've, Phil's <laughs> kids go to school? Yeah, yeah, we we, no we, we, we chose the school specialist. That's why you have yeah. multiple kids. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, they're yeah, expendable. Well, yeah. Live in a dangerous place. One goes missing. And yeah. yeah, you've we've got, got backups. One. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it's you, you just got to be aware and be wary. You know, you you go to North Queensland, you go to Darwin. Thought you better say North Korea. Yeah, North Queensland. You've got the crocodiles, you know. The, the crocodiles, you know, they're, they're not um, they're not choosy. Um, if you get in their way, they'll bite you. Um, so yeah, it's and then you have got the sharks. And, yeah. There's a place that in Melbourne. Sounds like Australia's a great place. Oh. I was gonna say it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. it sounds we, like we all want to like, go there. Right. Sounds like North Florida. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's a place in Melbourne that's called Safety Beach. Okay. It used to be called Shark Bay, and then they changed the name to Shark Beach. Sounds like a drastic transition. Yeah, yeah. They changed the name from sh- from Shark Beach. Oh, sorry, Shark Beach used to be called sh- uh, yes Shark Bay, and then they changed it to Shark Beach. It's like the bay and the beach you were just the said problem. Safety Beach. Yeah, yeah. But then they changed it from sh- Shark Beach to Safety Beach. <laughs> Okay. The, the yeah. problem is, the reason why it got its original name of Shark Bay is because it has sandbars in, in the thing. So it's, the water is very, very shallow, and then there's sandbars. And at feeding time, at night and early morning, that's when the sharks were mucking down the, um, the sandbars. So calling it Safety Beach is a real misnomer because it's <laughs> one of the most um, prolific areas where you're going to get bitten by a shark in Melbourne. So, but it's just been misnamed. I'm not going to get bitten by I won't get bitten by it. Until they can walk on land, I'm not going to get bitten. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. or, or, or until Sharknado becomes a real thing. Sharks on a plane. That's our new movie. Ah, yeah, maybe. But, all right. So, so that, that being <laughs> said, Pete living in Florida, you hear funny stories on the internet about people releasing... Let's say a pet snake and it turns into a, a savage beast. Like There's a lot of movies. What, like what is a Flor- <laughs> Floridian's perspective on that? Yeah, well, we have a combination of everything. We have alligators, we have snakes, we have pythons that are like, you've seen them 20, 25 foot long. Uh, so we have we've got quite a range of of um, of of you know snakes basically we got spiders we have we have sharks so Florida's pretty much um American uh, Australia <laughs> <laughs> Yeah the American <laughs> Australia so but From in, like in many a, perspectives in the in the shark Shark species. I mean, you, you have we have all species. Uh, we have tiger sharks. We have bull sharks, and people don't generally know, but the bull shark is one of the most deadly sharks because they come into the the right into the rivers. They come into the brackish water. They come to these areas where people are swimming. So that's one of the most deadly sharks that there are. But it's in Florida, so. Why do they call it a bull shark? Does it look like a bull? Oh, uh, yes. His Got head, horns. yeah. <laughs> it, no, well, I mean, it, his head is like, he, he's such a beast. I mean, 
Uh, I actually caught a fish that got bitten by a bull shark. I caught a I caught a tarpon, and when it got bit by a bull shark, the bite was like uh, about a uh, uh, sixteen inch diameter. You know, just right out of the belly, because bull sharks are just—they're just beasts. Mm. We have oh no, you go ahead. I was just going to say we have the same thing in Australia. So, in Brisbane, and again, as Pete says, it's it's quite right. The bull sharks are probably probably one of the um, the more predatory sharks. Um, they're probably responsible for more attacks than than certainly than a great white, and it's because they. They're one of the only fish that have this ability to live in both seawater and freshwater. Yeah, yeah. And and so in Brisbane, it's a real problem uh, because in Brisbane, they have a lot of canals and they have the, the shark gates. So they have these um, these grates in the canals. Uh, but what happens is that the, the baby sharks can swim through the grates. The, the adult sharks can't swim back through the grates. So they end up trapped in these canals. So And they can be... 20, 30 kilometers inland in these canals, um, just swimming around, and, and essentially they're trapped there. In a place where you totally wouldn't expect them. Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. And you've got these. They swim up when they're a baby, and then they grow up. Ab- and absolutely, and, and they eat all the fish. And obviously, you've got these houses that are then built along the canals with their waterfront properties and their boats. And, you know, and, the, and these canals aren't that wide, so people, you know, they. they they enjoy their Friday, Saturday night celebrations, and then they decide to go for a swim at night, uh, which is feeding time for the sharks. And sometimes people go missing. Um, and and again, so yeah, they they're a they're a big problem. Well, not a big problem. They're 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 a problem. Uh, there's not a lot of people get killed by them, but certainly they are. Uh, you have to be wary, and, and you don't go swimming inland just because it's fresh water and you know it's a canal like that should never, be safe. Never. Well, people health, people health. do, but. It's, it's the risk you take. Is, mm. is health insurance really expensive? And yes, well, it costs zero dollars. I mean, health insurance <laughs> is extremely expensive in Australia. Yeah, yeah. because man, break yeah, that man, down. We the, talked the about that before. Yeah. Well, this this well, in Australia you have what's called Medicare, which is public health uh, care. So you can go to the doctor, you can go to the hospital, and and, and not have to pay. Uh, they have this thing called bulk billing generally. So you see a doctor, you don't get a bill. The bill goes straight to Medicare and, and it gets sorted out with the doctor. Um, what they also have, though, is uh, a requirement that you're supposed to have private health care. And in doing that, it takes some of the pressure off the the, the more social aspects of, of health care in Australia. When you earn a certain level of money, you then... If you don't have private health care, then you get hit with a with a taxation bill, which is several thousand dollars a year. Um, and so most people who earn over a certain level, they take out health cover to avoid having to pay this additional levy. Um, and, and like everything, health care insurance comes at different grades. So you know, if you go for the, the very basic hospital cover, then, then you could be looking at, $200 a month for a basic cover, for a, say, family cover. That's not just an individual family cover. If you then want to add in extras, to, so to look after dental and, and, and other illnesses and, and treatments that you might need, 
you could be looking at adding another two, <coughs> three, four, five hundred dollars a month onto that bill. And so you're you're quite fond of this. No. Like you, I, well. I, I would much rather have the, the, the healthcare system that we had in the UK where, you know, private healthcare is optional um, rather than being almost compulsory as it is in Australia. Yeah. And Pete, your experience in Thailand? Uh, yeah. I mean, Don't get sick. <laughs> but no, if health, you do, health, there'll be a good doctor. Just my okay. Yeah, it's kind of like $2,000 a year. Um, get the, get a pretty good package for that, uh, including dental and things. Um, the kind of government-supported uh, healthcare systems, not great, not like the UK one, like Phil was saying. Um, but uh, I think that the hospitals are so good in Thailand because they're all private and um, they're all looking to make money. They'll they'll definitely support you no matter what, uh, as long as you've got the money to pay for it. And uh, two like thousand dollars inexpensively. Uh, no, no. I mean, if you've got insurance, then you know paracetamol, which is sixteen baht in the Seven Eleven, is now uh, four hundred baht in the hospital. So um, they 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 take their uh, their advantage on the situation. But yeah, I mean. Two thousand dollars for for a year is, I think, is accept acceptable. Um, it goes up for sure. The the older you get and the the more problems you have, uh, it goes up and up. But um, for for someone between thirty and forty five years old is uh, is around two thousand USD and pretty easy to go from there. Um, but yeah, the the hospitals are great. Like. You, you go you go and sit in a hotel it's like a hotel basically sitting in the hospital um, like a shangri-la well yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> you, you could be in a room like this and you know, everything's nicely done and you know somebody comes and checks on you every once in a while and you know you get a very nice nurse to take you for not 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 the nurse that Pete was talking to earlier but <laughs> a nice nurse that takes you for a shower <laughs> <and> yeah <laughs> Um, I don't know. Although I'm sure he would got to you too. The guy was pretty nice. He brought beers, so I'll be at warm beers. Yeah, he brought us free shots as well and discounted oh, the smashing shit. So, uh, can't complain too much. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't turbo excited about the uh, shots, but. Yeah, no, I, I, as Phil said, I think it was Red Diesel. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my. Like, perhaps. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, wh what, uh. Uh, all that, that's hectic. What, all right, I think each of you has... We can, we has can get off the boring <laughs> topics of health. Yeah, well, well, I was about entertainment. I was like going to say... How about, about, how about entertainment yeah. in Thailand. Like, tomorrow, you know, yeah. we're going to yeah, take yeah. a nice trip. So, what about the entertainment that, that uh, we're going to see? It's my first time in Chiang Mai, and... You know, we're we're taking a a long journey. We're gonna we're gonna hike. We're gonna see a waterfalls. We're gonna we're gonna do ATVs. I mean, that that sounds pretty exciting. And and to have that in in Thailand, I mean, it it seems like to me this is this is a great great event. 
Yeah, so um, we, we've organized it that we get picked up from the hotel in Chiang Mai. Um, it's it's an hour to, to an hour and a half drive um, because all of this is in the mountains, in the jungle, um, that we have to do this. And so obviously we have to go out of the city. Um, but what we'll do is we'll uh, do about a two and a half hour ATV uh, trek through the jungle. We will do a uh, uh, hike up to the waterfall. Um, you can jump in the waterfall if you want, freshen up. Um, we'll have some no lunch. Bullshucks. <laughs> no yeah. bullshucks, no. <laughs> um, we might get other things, but. <laughs> so you heard it here, zero percent chance. And then, um, then we'll go to do white water rafting, uh, which will take another cup, two and a half, three hours um, to, to go back down. And um, quick shower, back to the hotel by about 5, 5.30. Um, and that whole package has been arranged for around $200 per person. So seems very well. The one of the one of the parts that was fascinating to me is you said thirty minute hike up to a waterfall, and I think what hour and a half or hour whitewater rafting. Like, no, um, I was thinking I hike or we hike maybe slower than water flows. So how does all this add up? Um, (laughs) we we. We will, we will AT, ATV, up, ATV up the mountain. Uh, and then we just hike then, like the last the 100 meters to, <laughs> to just, just the feel really thing, great yeah. about it's actually Yeah, it's actually just like a 10-minute hike. <laughs> <laughs> because we, we were looking and, and they were saying, oh, so uh, what is the average age and what's the, the fitness ability? And I just went, <laughs> yeah, I'm basing it on myself. So oh my god! Maybe I should kind of tone this back a bit. Yourself, <laughs> yourself being very fit, proficient cycler, and the rest of us being like no, no, no. I wouldn't say the rest. I, w- I would just say that there's some people that who who may be over the age of like 55. Um, we've got a few of them. Um, no, maybe. What about you? I think I'm John not over 55. John, John is uh, as well. No, I'm only 59. So, but, but I can handle it. So I'm not over 55. <laughs> so oh, you probably handle it better than me. My, my knees yeah. are shot. We've got some guys over... Something to do with somersaulting cows. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> <laughs> some guys over 100 kg that... Uh, not, not not Ed, but some guys will not be happy with doing too much physical <laughs> activity. So, um, so I thought, okay, yeah, I should probably kind of tone it back a little bit because it was quite full on. Um, but... It will hopefully be a, a really good, exciting activity for everyone. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it will be because <laughs> otherwise it reflects badly on me for organizing yeah. it. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, we, we won't hold you responsible. Uh, I think yeah. I think you've already exceeded expectations. So they were low. Well, what you've exceeded. <laughs> <them>. <laughs> what, what 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 what's what's <laughs> been what's been good so far? Ed? Um, organization. Yeah, I, I was going to say something. Organization. We, uh, we, you know, most of the things were arranged for for us. You very supportive along the way. 
uh i think the the venue is nice i think um alignment on like the adventure side of it w- was uh we were all pretty much in agreement on on sort of a little ch- change up of the traditional sort of meet in a, a metropolitan area i think uh you know very much turnkey on giving you some ideas around like the team building aspect and then you ran with it and yeah man you did a good job man oh, it's, it's man. great thank you yeah it was a uh question whether we would go to indonesia like jakarta versus uh, thailand mm-hmm. and uh wow well, i'm really impressed with what pete has organized I think, like uh, in my in my mind, uh, big city equals big city equals big city. Like each place, like yeah. what's the difference in being in, you know, a conference room in Jakarta or Manila or Singapore or whatever, or Bangkok? No, here I guess the the idea was to give us access to something that's really unique to the region, um, similar to. Perhaps if you went to, um, you know, the, the jungly type areas or different and, and areas that are unique to Indonesia or unique, in this case, to Thailand or, you know, beaches and such in Philippines or we can go to Phil's Outback and chase the, the fucking anacondas. <laughs> no, the kangaroos. But I mean, Australia is just so far re- remote that <laughs> crocodiles might be cost, cost prohibitive. Yeah, can we go to Florida and wrestle the fucking twenty-nine foot crocodiles? <laughs> oh, Florida? Like no, they're alligators. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, they do. There. They do have American crocodiles in Florida. Uh, yeah. So maybe in the way south, Florida. Uh-huh. Yeah, not where I live. There just was a news article recently in Thailand that um, all of the crocodile farms, they, they got a little bit lazy since uh, the price of crocodile meat and leather has gone down. And uh, Basically, there's a lot more now wild populations of crocodiles. So um, maybe we'll ask with whitewater rafting, don't fall out the boat too many times uh, because... You tell us now. We're Actually, no, I should tell you just before you get in the boat. It's 1 a.m., we're having <laughs> beers. Yeah, now you're in, don't get out. Hey, well, well, we should be happy we get a pre-warning. It's, it's, <laughs> one, it's 1 a.m., we're having beers. I mean, our game face might not be 100% on. Yeah, don't worry, you'll forget about it by the morning. <laughs> Keep drinking. Yeah. Keep drinking. A la Thailand. But... Dude, I think each of you guys has has unique hobbies. Like, let's speak to that. Like, Pete, tell us about being a cyclist, cyclist, or cycling enthusiast. Okay, so like, you're you're a professional racer who's better than anyone in the world. That's no, what you said, right? No, no, no. You're okay. essentially no, essentially no, the British expat in Thailand, Lance Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have to dope. Like <laughs> minus or maybe not minus the uh, performance yeah. enhancements. So. Yeah. No, I, I, I really only took up cycling like full on about three years ago, maybe four years ago. Um, and there's a great 
network of cyclists around Thailand. Where I live, um, there's many groups that go out over the weekend, every day they go out. Um, the group I go with, they go out every day religiously, meet at the same spot, 8 a.m., go from there and do 100 kilometers minimum. And uh, What's that equate to in miles? 60. No, 80, no? 62 miles. 62 points. Oh, yeah, it's like... Oh, yeah, because 10K is 6 points. Yeah, it's 1.6. You're really riding 20% less, you need to step up your game. Yeah, yeah. What's that? 20% less than you thought you were riding. I mean, I I do at least 130, 140 each time because I have to cycle down to the point and then cycle back from there. So... um, yeah, 130 kilometers at a time, um, three f- to four hours. Um, and then do that. I try to get in about 12 hours a week, but it's difficult. Obviously, w- I, I do have a job, so I have to make sure that I do that. Oh, you do focus. I, on I, d- I, do, I do do that thing as well. Um, Boring. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, have yeah. To, I have to make the money to, to spend the money. Yeah, then bicycles, they're cheap, right? Uh, they're mm, cheap in Thailand? No, 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 it's, it's probably more I don't expensive. think they're cheap anywhere. Yeah. No, they're not cheap. And and recently, everyone just started liking cycling. And so demand has just overtaken supply and cost has just gone through the roof. Um, but, you know, that's why everyone has to have like seven or eight bikes. And oh, my. Oh, no, is that not normal? I have two, and I thought I was extra as fuck. Well, I mean, you know, the number of bikes you should have is the number of bikes you have plus one. Is that is that <laughs> is that one per day? So you have to use yeah. it because they get worn out. I got three bikes. Yeah, you that just do got any one of them have pe- do they any have of them huge have motors? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Long I was day. gonna say we got you well, got a few bicycles, and then you got the, yeah. the, the I have extra bikes. bicycles. Yeah. Uh, is that is that your favorite hobby? Well, it's a pastime. I mean, it's one of the things I enjoy in life. I have. You wouldn't buy three bikes if you didn't like it. Fair. But you know, one one of my bikes has a five hundred two big block Chevy, so it's a boss hoss. <laughs> it's a it's a hoss. It's just it's a, a beast. And it's just for just like if you want to really ride, it, it's a beast. When you it's say really fun. ride, break that down for me. Well, it means Being like long distance, or you want to like um put put it on the ta- your like if you want to get on it or what? Yeah, if you want to get on it, I mean a five hundred two big box Chevy on and two wheels. I mean <laughs> you can get on it. So, so is, this, is this thing you like... You guys have gone so American for me. I have no idea what you're talking about. Man, please... I know <laughs> what a 502 yeah. B-block Chevy is. I know what a motorbike is. Yeah, but I, I don't mean, understand what get on it is. Get like, on yeah. it with two wheels. I was like, yeah. of course every motorbike has two wheels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, they don't, they uh, don't have a 502 but in, in cubic inch B-block Chevy engine. Yeah, yeah, in terms of a motorcycle, it's like the fucking grand engine. It's like... Oh, yeah. You could probably throw yourself yeah. off of that if you really smoke the gas, right? Oh, there, there's people that die on these machines. You know, yeah. it's, it's a machine. It's it's a you're sitting on yeah. a motor. 
basically. And what's the fastest like a you've eight, ever been you're on sitting a on an eight cylinder motor? So what's the fastest you've ever been on a motorcycle? Uh, I'd say one eighty. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not the daredevil that some of the people that I have friends with. I mean, that's fast. But yeah. And what's the fastest you ever been on a bicycle? I think uh, I think about 87, 90, something like that. Kilometers an hour. Kilometers an hour. So okay, uh, it's pretty fast. Yeah. Still fifty yeah. miles an hour. Ooh, that's fast. You start you start wobbling quite a bit for sure. Yeah, uh, the speed wobbles. Yeah. And Phil, on a push bike. No, no, wait, not your fucking <laughs> speed. Your what, hobby. Yeah, I believe your, your hobby. hobby is also speed. Uh, or is that is that what you would choose as your favorite? It's, it's, I mean, it's it's not a hobby as such. I I have, I have three sort of likes that I have. I have, you know, I I like nice watches. I like fast cars, but but proper cars, you know, not not American muscle cars not or Australian car. muscle cars. I I like supercars. So you know. Proper cars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis. You know, my favorite is the Aston Martins. You know, so yeah, I and like. And I like what have you done to immerse yourself in that hobby? I, I like. Uh, I've 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 done a few track days. You know, I mean, it's you know, these cars are expensive, um, and the big problem with Australia is is that it is very very um, restrictive on speed. You know, the, the the speeding fines are astronomically high. Um, you know, the penalty system just just means it's prohibitive. So, so to have a to have a supercar in Australia, unless you can afford to do track days and and that you indulge in track days, it's it's just not really, it's not fair on the car. You know, it's like you you just put it in third and two the longer, hundred kilometers, sixty miles an hour. Um, but yeah, in in my past, I've I've done the track days in the Ferraris, Lamborghinis, uh, and the Aston Martins. So a bit like Pete said, you know, I've done. You know, 170, 180 miles an hour down the straight, um, jump on the brake, swing it around the corner, and yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, really good, really good fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely awesome. And that's not cost prohibitive, yeah? I would have previously thought, like, oh my gosh. In Australia, you don't get the option of doing supercars. So to drive, if you, if you, if you buy a, a, a deal to drive a supercar in Australia, you'll drive it on the road for maybe 30 minutes or an hour. And that's just pointless. You know, you, you're driving, you know, instead of Ferrari, a Lamborghini, whatever the car is, you're driving it at 60 miles an hour, you know, on a country road. It's like, that's that's not how you drive a Ferrari, you know? Um, how do you drive a Ferrari? Well, the way you drive a Ferrari is that you push it to the limits, you know? You, you're driving it and you're sort of, driving in it not not obeying the speed limits whereas the track days that i did they were in the uk and and they were cheap you know they were a hundred pounds for several laps in in various different cars so yeah so i did the ferrari and the lamborghini that was actually a prize from a from a previous employer uh, and that was awesome uh, the the aston martins i did that i paid for that myself and it was a hundred pounds for to drive three aston martins around the track it was a V12 um, Aston Martin. It was an Aston Martin DBS and an Aston Martin V8 Vantage, and and it was driving around the track. You had the supervision and of a of a racing driver, um, tell you what to do, how to do what you were doing, and hey, it was awesome. 
two of the best days of my life. Damn. And what year was that? Uh, one would have been um, about 2010, uh, and the other one maybe 2011, just for just before I moved to Australia. So you, you said it was in the in the UK. Yeah. And and they just let you do what you want. There there are rules. Within reason. Yeah, there are obviously they have rules. I mean, so um, you know, you you go to these track days. They talk you through it. They take you out. They so they there's there's a track laid out, and they they first of all take you around it. So they run you run you a crew you around in a, in a Range Rover and say, okay, you know, point here, brake here, you know, floor it here, blah blah blah. So you get to go see what the track's like. And then, yeah, when you get in the car, it's like, okay, you just go. And the rules are if you spin the car, then your day is over. You don't get to do any more laps. You don't get to drive any more cars. As long as you don't spin the car, then you can just keep going. And what was the most unexpected thing, like, throughout that? Like, of course, you probably expected, oh, my God, I'm going to be, like, thrown into the seat, and I'm going to experience some Gs and... You know, whatever I'm gonna I'm gonna be reacting under pressure. But what was kind of unexpected that was um, memorable? The erection. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, I don't think anything the, was unexpected. The fact that when I took the car off the track and started driving back to my house, <laughs> they had a problem with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. Th- I mean, I wouldn't say there was anything that was unexpected. I mean, obviously, you know, said so I. I like cars. I like driving fast. I like driving properly. So you know, taking a straight line and you know following the racing line and doing all that sort of thing. So I've I've I always uh, it, when I was in the UK, I would always drive um, to the limit of what I was sort of able to do. So typi- you put that nicely. So typically, I, w- I would drive very fast, which and and, and what. What, one of the things that annoys me when people talk about cars and driving and speed is that, you know, driving fast is dangerous and speed kills, and, and that's wrong, you know? What, what, what is bad is, is, is inexperience and, and poor quality driving. And I think reducing speed limits, reducing speed limits actually makes driving more dangerous because you, you get bored, you become complacent, you... There's nothing happening. There's no. Whereas if you drive fast, you've got to be aware. Yeah, you've you've got to look at the road conditions. You've got to look at what's going on at the side of you. You know, I've done driving courses, and you've got to you've got to have a point of exit. So, you know, you don't look at the car in front. You look at the car two, three cars in front of that. Yeah, you've always got a point of exit. So, so let whether it be left or right. So, you've just got to be aware. And this is why, you know, driving is tiring. It's it's hard work to drive if you drive properly. If you don't drive properly, which so many people think they can, I mean, my son, my son is a good example. Yeah? I taught my son to drive. You know, I've been driving for I don't know thirty-five years, and I've driven most of that as as part of my living. So I'm on the road as a salesman. So I do a lot of driving. You know, thirty, forty thousand miles a year on average. At sixty. <laughs> Not in the, no, in the UK, no. I, w- I would drive every. You talking, talking about sixty years old or sixty miles an hour? <laughs> sixty uh, miles an hour. Yeah, in the U- yeah, but in the UK, I would drive so everywhere. Like five hundred hours driving. Just just driving along mundane roads. It's like oh god. Yeah, in Australia, that's what I do. I've, I've, in Australia, I've become the person I used to hate <laughs> because I now have to drive at the speed limit, and it's uh, it's just boring and that. 
Whereas in the UK, I would drive everywhere at 100 miles an hour. Like, literally, I was so, you know, back roads, country roads, motorways, it'd be like 95, 100 miles an hour the whole way. Past you know? the school. Oh, everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like, yeah. Drives of kangaroos. Not in the UK. We don't have them in the UK. Um, where is it said? So it's through country, the zoo. In which country we're in right now. Yeah, it's because it's Pete interrupted. So he's talking about Australia. So, so yeah, so like my son, you know, I... I Consider myself a relatively good driver. I, I've done lots of courses. I've done. I've driven hundreds of different cars. I've driven at speed. I've driven on the the wet, the ice, the snow. You know, I've done all those things, and and so I taught my son to drive. And obviously, he's grown up with me driving him around and such and such. Dude, shout out to Spider Man of Melbourne. Yeah, what's up? Yeah. You're about to tell that story. <laughs> no, I wasn't. No, no, no. You, no. you are about. I, I'll tell I, that I need story. You yeah, to I'll do tell that. that. I'll tell that. That's the next story. So. So, yeah, so obviously I taught my son to drive. And so now he thinks that he can drive like me. You know, even though he's only got 12 months of experience of driving. Well, he's he such a good teacher. There is, but he can't. You know, he doesn't have that road awareness. And road awareness when you're driving is so important. As I said, it's like being aware of what's around you. It's like sort of 360-degree vision of where you're looking, what you're doing, what the cars around you are doing, what people are doing, everything else that's going on around you. He doesn't have that, but he thinks he does because he can drive fast, you know. But he doesn't have the situational awareness, and well, that's anybody can that's drive fast. Anybody can drive fast, He's and they end up in accidents. Yeah, but it's but it's been able to drive fast and safe. But through those track days, you feel like there was uh, like actual learning, absolutely, it was somewhat academic. Yeah, because you had somebody sat next to you, sort of as an experience, but like. When I, I I only realized this um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've been watching the Grand Tour, you know, which is um, you know, the, the the new version of the the proper Top Gear show with Jeremy Clarkson and uh, James May and Richard Hammond. And now watching season two, um, they've replaced the original driver that they had, which was an American guy, with um, a female driver from the UK turns out that she was the person who did the track day with me in the Aston Mines. So the person who's now the, the, the racing driver on the on the TV show Grand Tour is the person who actually took me around the track three times in Aston Mines. So yeah, you do learn, you pick things up. But I've also picked that up over 30 odd years of driving. I've done various driving courses as well. So it's not something I've just picked up myself. I've I've done the courses. So I've done the Defensive driving, the offensive driving, the the, sort of, you know, the track day, the you know the, the skid pans, the you know all those sort of things. I've done those training courses. So the offensive driving, the one where you flip <laughs> the bird at everyone and like get the fuck out of here, man. Yeah, that is. <laughs> it's, 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 it's more the one where course. you're like the pursuit driving thing that the sort of the police do. So it's like how to how to sort of drive quickly and get around. Whereas the defensive driving is the one where you you toot along and you sort of leave. You know, the three-second gap between you and the car in front, and it's really they boring. They make a course for that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's the advanced that? driver course. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's only it's what like you do. It's like a bir yeah. birthday in, gift. In the U.S., oh, that's what Thanks. you do once you get in trouble. Yeah. 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 Like the, uh, I like a slap on the wrist rather than a slap on the head. Uh, yeah. Did you steal my beer? Yeah, sorry. You bastard. <laughs> Are you out? No, no. you got some in your room, though, eh? Yeah, uh, yeah but if you drink... So it's like your third. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to have to make like a no. quick trip? I know, I'll take, your key, I'll take your key. I'll no, it's that. okay. It's all good. But, but listen. I got two in my room. Yeah, yeah, yeah so do I. It's, it's okay. Okay. 
Yo, check this out. So I'm talking to Phil. We're in uh, we're in New Caledonia, and we're we're shooting the shit, talking about life. And he tells me this like totally awesome story about his sons. Check this out. You need to hear this. So about his son. He knows anyway. Okay, so he told the new story. So so check this out. So during COVID, you know, like in, in my in my estimation, and I guess in the world's estimation, like that's difficult situation for everybody to like shut down social interactions and com- be completely disruptive to what everybody understood to be like normal in terms of showing up to work and, and normal social interaction and rocking up to the store and, and not being as conscious and uh, cautious and whatever of, like, germs and such. So, you know, in, in my opinion, I was like, man, what is this going to do to kids who are, like, just learning how to, how to do, like, social interactions? So Phil was telling me that his boy um, – was like, hey, you know, like, he sort of had the same assessment, like, man, this is tough for the kids that live around us, so you'll have to fill in the gaps on whether this was, like, something he previously did or just took on, but he essentially wore, like, a Spider-Man suit and went and, like, just cheered the kids up and, and like, interacted with them and and, and gave them sort of a, a, a touch point in terms of, like, hey, Spider-Man's here, like, everything's gonna be cool, and, like, let me put a smile on your face. Man, I just thought that was so touching and, and like, inspiring and 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 awesome, and I was like, Phil, dude, no doubt, like, you're, you're a good dad, but, like, that's all I needed to hear. Like, it's such a good story. Like, maybe just elaborate on that. Like. Yeah, so, so yeah, so my son, um, Corey, um... He's, Shout out to Spider-Man, Corey. Yeah, so <laughs> he's he's a big um, Marvel fan, as most kids are. I mean, it's say, kid, he's um, he's twenty, he's going on twenty-one. But this is this was just when COVID kicked off, so he's big into Spider-Man. So he's got all the Spider-Man suits, and he dresses up, and he makes his own videos of Spider-Man things with his friends and that sort of stuff. So when COVID sort of first hit, so this is early twenty twenty, uh, getting towards Easter. Um, we were in Melbourne, uh, which most of you will know is the, now regarded as the most locked down city in the world. So we were going through various stages of lockdown and all sorts of things. So at the time, it was like you were only allowed out of your house for one hour a day for exercise. And, you know, so it was, it was a pretty bad situation. And we're getting towards Easter. And obviously his opinion was that, you know, Kids, you know, little kids, they, they they don't understand what COVID is. They don't understand why they can no longer see their uh, their friends or their relatives or why people can't come around to the house and why everything's sort of locked down and stuff. So he decided that for Easter, um, he would he would arrange to go around and visit people uh, dressed as Spider Man and drop off gifts and, and Easter eggs with you know from your friendly neighborhood Spider Man and. And and so we sort of we, we sort of helped him to arrange it all, and the idea was it would take you know maybe a couple of hours. Um, we didn't expect the uptake to be what it was, um, and it ended up taking two and a half days to get around to see the number of people that wanted to be seen. So 
we we sort of drove him around, and he had uh, one of these portable speakers with the Spider-Man music playing. So we'd park around the corner so that he could run in and sort of do his bit. And again, we checked it with the police for the for the for the reasons of uh, social distance and obviously being out for longer than the hour we were supposed to be out. And so yeah, he, he was it was just it was just great it was a great thing for him to do that. You know, the kids really enjoyed it. You know, they, they were sort of so excited. We were getting messages and phone calls throughout the whole day saying, what time's he coming? When can we expect him? The kids are going through the roof, jumping up and down with excitement. And we had people stopping us in the street. It was just, yeah, it was just a really good couple of days that everybody enjoyed the, the effort that he put into it. And so he's gone on from there that he still does it. He still goes out and does that sort of thing. But he now does birthday parties and he goes to kids' um, uh, like the the play centers and does training sessions of Spider Man to show the kids how to do the poses and you know how to how to be and act like Spider Man. So yeah, he just does all that. So it's good. I just I just think like man that would, man that was super touching. Like how he you said he's how old? Uh, he's twenty now, but so he would have been eighteen. Because and that was the thing as well. See, this was at the time. So his birthday's in April, and so. He missed his 18th because of COVID. And that was part of the driving force for why he did it, because he missed his birthday. You know, he sort of missed Easter because obviously he couldn't do that as well. But at the same time, he understood that all these other little kids who, Easter's normally one of those, you know, take the religion out of it. It's, you know, people come around, you get gifts, you get chocolate eggs, you get all this stuff. You spend time with family. Yeah. And and all of that stopped because of COVID. And so he just wanted to do something to give back. Um, on the on the back of him missing his own eighteenth. Yeah, so I mean, the fact that at eighteen years old, like, I'm not sure I was that mature and like wanting to give back, like in some aspects, sure. But and that was just really cool that he wanted to impact so many people, and and especially like I, I mean, geez, I. I felt bad for the kids because I, I know adults that struggled with, like, adjustment in those times. And, and you know, I can only imagine for the kids, they, they feel like their their buddies and their social act interaction has been disrupted and they don't understand why. But, you know, he's, like, the story was just so impactful for me. Like, he's taken upon himself to go out there and, yeah, and, and cheer and them up. It, and he, he put a load of planning into it. Obviously, I mean, yeah, we helped. You know, we we sort of had to because we we, we sort of, he he put it on Facebook and social media, so he got people to say, you know, do you want me to come round? And and the the response was overwhelming. You know, so I then had to sit down and plan a route for where we were going to go, so we could in, incorporate as many people as possible um, into into the most direct way because it was going to take a long time to do it. Uh, he also he has a part time job at a, um, a store called Kmart, and and so he spoke to them and mentioned it to them. So they gave him um, chocolate eggs. So they they sort of helped out and gave him the eggs that he could give out, and then he then sort of printed out labels, you know, that stuck onto the eggs. And some of the kids were having birthdays over the weekend, so he did a little bit extra. He gave you know he, he created postcards and did a few other little gifts that he could give to them. So it was their birthday, so they had something special. Generally speaking, it was just these little eggs with with labels from your friendly neighbourhood Spider Man. Social distancing was had to be observed, but that just went out the window because the kids, you know, kids don't understand social distancing. You know, stay one meter apart and you know don't touch. So, 
But yeah, he he kept that up, and and yeah, and then the the local news got wind of it, so they came out and you know they did a feature for him on the news, and yeah, it was good. And and how many people like follow him on social media now? I have no idea, but there's quite a few. He yeah, has yeah. his own Facebook um, page on um, on Facebook. I would news. hope that something like that would get a lot of attention. I mean, that's that's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and once a month he does these these sessions at the play center for the. Spider-Man training course type thing. Yeah. So yeah, he does that stuff. And it's his birthday party. He's, at the moment, he's doing one for um, for a, a child who who became, um, I, I'm not sure the reason or the, or the background to it, but they, they, um, they're now deaf, so they, w- they were able to hear. And this child is now, I think, six or seven years old, and so now they're deaf. So the mother's asked him to do a video, so he's now... Ironically, his girlfriend's parents are deaf, so she can sign language. So he's now doing a video to this child um, in sign language. So because obviously she can't hear, so he's doing this sign language video for her that then you know they just start passing it on to other people. So yeah, he's doing all this stuff. It's good as long as they put a rocking soundtrack behind it. <coughs> yeah. So yeah, so he does all this stuff, and it's yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, he's also studying to be a nurse as well, so he's, he's got that side to him that he's um, he's very um, empathetic. What uh, a guy! He's yeah, he's the total opposite of me. I was gonna say it must have come from his mother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he got his looks from me and his uh, empathy from, <laughs> me, from his mum. Yeah. Got, got the M from the mother and the pathetic from the dad. <laughs> oh my god! That's kidding. <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's the sort of thing I would come up with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, that joke. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's a good lad. Shout out to Generally. Pete. Matt. We started talking about sailing earlier. Uh, Talk to me about sailing. Talk to me about sailing. Yeah, no, my, my family's always been sailing. Uh... My earliest memories have always been sailing. So, um, when oh, I, w- I want to quickly preface this with the story I told you earlier. You think that's an interesting story? And I'll t- I'll tell you again. In college, they s- they said, "What what are your aspirations? What are your dreams? What what are your motivations? Oh, yeah. What's what's the destination?" That, that you hope to achieve by uh, this leadership course, this four-year degree, blah, blah, blah. And at the time, my reflex response was, just want to make enough money to buy a sailboat and live on it. <laughs> and you said that's not too far from what your parents have done and, and your background experience, which really caught my attention, so... I'd like to hear a little more about it in terms of your experience and, man, how difficult how difficult is my dream to achieve? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not difficult to achieve. Um, I would say that um, kind of taking it back to, to the beginning, my, my parents uh, were um, always into sailing. They met through sailing. Um, and uh, like very quickly on, it, w- it was obvious that sailing was a massive part of the whole family um, because I grew up through sailing. From, from like birth or from some age or what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, 
it was it was just born in into me that you know I've got an older sister she was saying um I was just kind of <laughs> just bought into it and it, I I didn't know anything yeah, else as, l- as long that. as you can remember essentially yeah, you yeah. were you were on the boat and you were participating yeah yeah um you know they 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 used to do a lot of competitive sailing um in in smaller sailing boats um where it was they were just sailing just two people together um not not big yachts small small boats that you would see in the olympics um and then you know as as they kind of <laughs> as the family got bigger they decided okay we wanted to have a boat a big boat that we could take around uh on the weekends and like go from destination a to b and back again over a weekend uh, and then go back home and have to work and obviously my dad was all he wanted to do was just be on the boat and so his his (laughs) he was only working to have the money to be able to have the dream of being on the boat the whole time so Um, he and i are like kindred spirits yeah yeah definitely um so, yeah, he's he's kind of hit, hit his dream. He he uh, he got to his retirement age, and you know, straight away uh, took the boat um, that they'd been sailing around the the south coast of the UK, um, straight over to France, and then around France, around Portugal, Spain, and and into the Mediterranean. Um, mostly over the last six years, been bumping around the in Greece. Uh, just kind of island to island hopping. Uh, just popped over to Turkey this year. Um, you know, it's 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 the, it's the life really. Um, just six months, seven months, just uh, of the year around there, and then for some reason go back to the UK for the winter, which I would never do. I'd <laughs> you would get the wrong way around. Yeah, exactly. I mean, oh well, it, it's. I would I would go to Asia for sure for for the winter um, because you get cooler climates in Asia in the winters and it's, it's quite nice. But they go back to to the UK because my dad's he still really likes to be involved in the racing side of sailing, and during the winter he can uh, do a lot of the uh, racing events, sailing events, and uh, he actually runs them in the southwest of UK. Um, and they still got a, a, a big family house that they keep on thinking that kids are living there. But I live here, and my sister lives near London, so you know they look after it still and just wait for us to come home for a weekend every four years. <laughs> so certainly there are some negatives about it, like or everyone would be sailing half the year, all the year. Like what what? Possibly are the downsides. Like obviously, it's like a tiny home. You, you yeah, you you you've got to be um, you've got to be in a good financial situation for sure. Um, because if you want to dock in some places, it's going to cost you around forty dollars a night to even dock, and um, this isn't even a. Uh, giving you like a hotel access or anything like this. This gives you a shower, it gives you water, and it gives you electricity. Um, and and it, that can 
add up a lot, especially for retirees who are just uh, hopping around in the Mediterranean. Um, a lot of them will s- tend to do maybe three or four nights anchoring, live on, living on the w- on the water that they've stored from the last time they docked, um, living on the the battery charge that they got from the electricity from the last time they docked, and then. Um, they they would be able to to survive for like three or four days, but then they would have to go and dock again and and pay that extra forty forty dollars a night, um, which it can be uh, quite easily in the Mediterranean. You can you can get cheaper places, but um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a kind of an average price, and and it's almost like having a hotel room, even though you're not even in a hotel, you're, you're still staying on the boat. <laughs> At forty dollars a night, I mean, it's a reasonable hotel room. Like essentially, that's connecting the shore power and shore water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, so they fill up the tanks, uh, fuel, water, electricity, char- charge up all the batteries, everything they can do, and then go go and try and do three or four days again, anchoring, doing whatever they can. Just that's nice and cheap. Well, basically free, essentially, and then. Uh, after about four or five nights, then go back and st- stop at another place where they can anchor again, uh, take shore power and water again. And what's the risk of like storms and rough waters? In the Mediterranean, not so much because the Med, uh, bec- the, the way that it, it is, it's kind of encapsulated. Um, and so you getting high waves is rare in the Mediterranean. Um, but yeah, you get high winds for sure. Um, but the way that a lot of the coves are for the good anchoring places, the wind is kind of n- negated by the big hills, and so you end up being in a nice sheltered area quite a lot of the time. So um, that's not such a big issue, definitely in the Mediterranean. If you were bumping around the uh, islands like in the Caribbean or something like this, yeah. That's a big issue because you're in the Atlantic and that's going to have big waves coming over everywhere. You're going to have hurricane seasons and things like this. And yeah, that's a much bigger thing to think about. But yeah, definitely in, in the Med, not such a big issue. Well, I'm assuming that you must, they must leave the boat there. Yeah, so. Um, so then fly back and forth the UK because yeah. obviously these things don't travel fast. In, in, in um, around October, they'll take the boat to a, a marina where they can take the boat out of the water. The boat will be out of the water from kind of October through till March, April. Um, then they'll come back, they'll do some work on the boat for two or three weeks, kind of repainting and cleaning and getting everything ready to go again. And then it'll be another six months bumping around islands. And then again, at the end, com- going back to a place where they can take it out of the water and and that's how it does. But six months continuous? Uh, sometimes not, because my sister have kids, and um, they want to have some time off as well. And so my parents will come back and, and look after the kids for a couple of weeks at a time or something like this. But um, that that's only because of that. If, if anyone else wants to do it, it's and they don't have kind of other commitments where they have to jump back, UK f- or anywhere else too, then you can do it easily. But I guess I, gu- I guess what I'm hearing is it's not 
it's not like a, a giant stretch. Like for them, it's not like oh, here we go. It's it's like, I guess as um, you know, we kind of talk about with our team. There's a system. They just kind of implement the system, accrue the necessary supplies. They've kind of got it down to a science of of what's required per day. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a schedule with how how long they want to be out and how long it takes to get from A to B. Yeah, and yeah, and they just execute the plan. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. Um, they know what they need to to have on board uh, to to survive for three or four days before they hit land again. Um, it's it's just ingrained into them now. It's it's almost like normal life. Like they know what they need to do. They go, okay. You know how you do at home. You probably only hit the supermarket every three or four days to sure. to stock up. Same thing. They'll hit the supermarket three or four days. They have fold up bicycles that they store on the boat. So they get out in Greece on the mainland, open up the fold-ups, cycle <laughs> bicycles with the bags, go to the supermarket, load up what they need, cycle back to the boat, everything loaded on, st- stored up on water, fuel, electricity, power. It's all done. And, and it's it's just the two of them, right, when they're underway? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, you know, they're, they're in their 60s. So uh, it's not like it's... Uh, it's is it's not too physical for them, but um, yeah, you have to be experienced to be able to do that. And um, like, is the Mediterranean such that they can still drop anchor? Oh yeah, yeah. Like so when they want to sleep, so it's shallow enough. The four four days that they're not in in a marina, they'll be anchoring in a bay. So mm. uh, and and you can anchor for free. So. <laughs> Yeah, so why not anchor all the time? And you you need you need the water, the fuel, the the food, the electricity, everything. <coughs> you need to go back every three or four days. Is it possible to not like? What's the longest you think you who think you could go if you were like a prepper, stalker? Have you tried to stretch it out? A couple of weeks. Yeah. So how do they go? How how do they go when they obviously they go around the world sailing? You know they don't they don't stop at ports and do they three do. days of oh do they yeah okay so they stop at port and do three days of charging and food and whatever yeah the the big races do yeah um, okay. there's some some of the small solo races that they do the non-stop ones yeah that's um, what I was meaning yeah okay the non-stop, the, the, yeah, those so ones um, I mean they're not doing it for pleasure though yeah I mean the most of them are like a massive boat where it's single-handed, and they only take about it's less than three months at, at sea. So they got yeah. everything supplies and everything for three months. Yeah, I'm um, thinking like Ella MacArthur and people like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, and they got tons of batteries to keep everything going. Um, they've got uh, solar powers, so solar panels. Yeah. To, to yeah. So that so so th- yeah. those events are more like. Um, Endurance, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're more like an Everest challenge type thing where it's, uh, so you've it's got everything yeah. there. So it's like it's a one-hit wonder thing that it's a one-time deal. Mm. It, it's not a pleasurable no. um, thing that you're doing for a holiday or no, a, you, you don't a go lifestyle go, event. This is, this is a really good thing for me to do. This yeah. is going to be really fun. No, yeah. you do it because 
you get the buzz of actually completing it. Yeah, that's it. When you go, when when you go for weeks, that's what you're saying. Yeah, if you if you're doing something, you're, ta- you're talking that. about like these races, or you're talking about if you were to go for two weeks, it's more of a like a pride thing than a than a oh my god, uh, I'm just enjoying the deep blue and blah blah blah. Yeah, f- what Phil was talking about is actually racing around the world. Mm. Well, well, not not racing, but yeah, but it is doing the round. Yeah, I don't know if it's a race. It is yeah, a race. So yeah, 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 okay, it is a race. Well, I was talking about the round the world challenge, like so. So where they basically they, they said literally they do a full circumnavigation of the globe, yeah, um, without stopping, and essentially without stopping. This is something that your parents participated. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, they're on holiday. This is <laughs> they're a, this having is a good time. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're what retired. I was saying, I was just asking about the yeah. the question that you said about how long can you go? Do you need to do this? Do you need to do that? And obviously the difference is is, you know, as Pete was saying, you know, his, what his parents do is they're on holiday. So, you know, they, they, they do the three days out in the bay, they go back, they stock up. Whereas the the Ella MacArthur's they, they they get a boat, they sh- load it up with all the shit that they need and, and more besides and then they can go the whole you know, three, four months that it takes them to go the whole journey. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to see, whether you could do that and, and what, the, what the differences were. Yeah. And how does, how does that translate into like what it developed into for you? Like the, the, um, semi-professional competitive sailing yeah i mean i mean i just grew up in in sailing uh the whole time um i didn't know anything else at the time uh i did get to an age i think it was six years old i started playing rugby and i was also sailing six years old yeah he's i was po- uh, he's posh can you not tell yeah. uh, under under sevens yeah sorry sister rugby football club under sevens um, <laughs> obviously, I don't remember playing rugby at that age, but um, I was playing at rugby at that age, and then it got to about under tens, and it was like a choice. Like rugby was always on a Sunday morning, and sailing you could do it all day Saturday and all day Sunday and a Wednesday night as well. It was like a choice. Like, do I continue with both sports or do I just focus? Uh, obviously just focus on sailing so gave up rugby and and just concentrated on on sailing and yeah I, I went through all the youth system and got to a very high level and was representing Great Britain for uh, lots of youth sailing events um, doing reasonably well kind of podiums or or up in the top tens for, for a lot of these events um, and then I went to, ended up going to university. I, I made the choice like that I didn't want to just focus my whole life on sailing. I wanted to go to university and and make a life outside of sailing and have sailing as my hobby and not as my job. Um, and but then did you use it to get a scholarship? No, no. There's not not really such a thing in the UK for for that. Um, very very rare for that kind of thing. Um, but I was sailing at university a lot. Um, I did a lot of sailing f- for for Great Britain in the university stuff as well. 
um, and we 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 got podiums and won events doing that as well. So when you say for Great Britain, what does that mean? Like the at the time it was uh, a lot of the Great Britain universities. So any university against any country in the world universities we were racing against. But it was literally representing the country. Yeah. Wasn't like um I, w- know, I, I was in a team that was Pennsylvania versus University of London. No, it no, was this was, this was. Um, I think Br- Britain had two teams, um, so there was ten people, maximum, um, that that we were racing in, and the US. I think they had also two teams. Australia had two teams, um, and then a lot of the other teams like Italy and and, and all kinds of around the world teams were, were joining in this competition. Um, I think there was probably about 30 countries uh, competing and, and yeah, Britain got first and first and fourth. Fir- no, first and third. Were you the first or the third? Uh, I was the third in that one. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the winner. Um, but we, we actually should have come second. It, w- it was a bit of a... Uh, faux pas from us to to not to <laughs> not hit the second, but um, yeah, I mean we we've been racing and and challenging uh, all the time, um, lots of different events on on that stage, and then finally I finished university and I started working and then all the sailing just kind of died out because travel so much, um, having a boat. And and having a team, you have to have a, a lot of a commitment, a lot of time commitment for that. And I couldn't do that with, with work and travel. Um, and so I took up a sport where I didn't have to commit to anybody. I could do it myself on my own. And cycling was just one of those things that automatically just kind of came to me as, well, if I if I want to go, I can go anytime. So or I cannot go, and there's it's low maintenance. Yeah, exactly. I'm I, I'm not. I haven't got a team just waiting there going, where's Pete? Well, what about Pattaya Panthers, Pete? Yeah, yeah, I did I did, I did. did join back to uh, play a bit of rugby as well. Um, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. When? Ca- came back 2012, 11, oh, 12. we're still talking. Yeah. I, 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 um, sorry, no, 13, 14. Um, I, I, when I moved over to Thailand... I didn't really know m- many people, and a good way to meet people was to um, go and do activities, go and do sports, and, and just get involved and immersed in things. And I mean, rugby is such a fantastic culture. Yeah. Like, yeah. When I I played in college, and I was like, how did I not come to this sooner? And I mean, it's such a great sport. And then I, I played several years out of college in, in Houston. And, uh, like, in Texas, rugby is, is coming along. And youth rugby is coming along. So you know that, like, there's a future of it. And and there's clubs that have been around for a long time. And there's, there's old boys uh, sections of the clubs. And it's just really, like, special. And, r- I mean, rugby is, like, Man, I've I've played seven, eight different sports, you know, probably like wrestling, football, Amer- American football, 
uh, soccer or your football. Uh, Real football. I've, yeah. I've been I've been on the <laughs> the track team. What else have I done? Like some swimming. Uh, so I mean, like that being said, for the longest time, wrestling was the best thing, best sport I'd ever played. Then I played rugby. Mm. I tell and, you what, and and yeah. fucking blown away, but. It was amazing at university level. Amazing. Like, we competed at a high level. We had a great team. We had great cohesion. It was absolutely the brotherhood and all the mechanics of, like, the the singing and the culture of rugby were totally a part of it. And then I went to Houston, and it was just, like – like a very, very, very serious, not old boys, well, definitely not old boys, but like a very, very serious social team. And like we did very well, and there were te- there were guys that had played at like a high level. So like there was still that exposure to like getting better. I mean, we even practiced pretty fucking hard for a social team. And, like, after I moved away and moved to Richmond for the business we currently work for, that team ended up going, like, semi-professional. So I, that I, was, I was a part of a pretty good team. But, you know, that being said, like, oh Jesus, rugby is just yeah. so fantastic. Like, what a great culture. I, I, I mean, we've all played rugby, and it's just – I mean, there is, like, nothing better. Like, it is absolutely a brotherhood. And, and in my opinion, it was so special, how there, like, the mutual respect. Like, you would just smash somebody or somebody would get over on you with, like, a great pass or a great um, scrum or whatever. And you'd be like, fuck, you know, and you, you'd compete against them throughout the game. Then after the game of the social, you say, hey, man, that was fantastic. Like, you guys really put it together. Enemies on the field, friends in the bar. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's such a beautiful know? sport. Uh, and it's absolutely. such a, like, a ju- like, it really put into perspective for me what a gentleman's game. Yeah, and, like, and I've got um, some of the best friends from rugby, for sure. Um, the the guys would always have your back. Um, you can call them no matter like you haven't spoken to them for five ten years. You can call them like it's your normal person that you're calling every day. It's like, and it's like the code or the etiquette. Yeah, and 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 the the best thing is they always have your back as well. Like no matter where you go, where you are, you know whatever you've done, even if you were rival teammates, if you've played rugby together against each other. They see you in a bar having some issue. They're supporting you. You're saying that doesn't translate to, like, sailing? No, I mean, say... Or, say or football. Like, like nah. give, give us some um, relation. What's special about rugby? No, I can't see in any other sport. As not me. S- no, sailing, definitely not. Uh, sailing is... All of my oldest friends are yeah. from rugby. Yeah, sailing School is definitely not that. as well. But then I played rugby at school. But the team that I also played rugby for were 
70% of the people I played rugby with went to the same school as me. So it was a school, social, it was... But yeah, all of those people. Going back to when I was 11 or 12, which is 40 years ago now, which is fucking scary, they're the only people I'm still in touch with are the ones that I played rugby with. I mean, that's interesting. And, and I think, you know, like a, a little bit of an aside is is we hire guys that went to the same military college that, like, I went to and our manager went to um, because, look, we work in a tough industry and guys that have been through that tough program, we, we know that they can take a certain level of shit, you know, like dirty work or whatever as, as like, the dirty jobs, micro tough industry and I kind of think rugby's similar in that like hey man rough and tough work hard play hard uh, cohesion brotherhood like mutual interest in those things yeah I definitely agree with that um, you know I, I, I've grown up through this very similar kind of roots like we were discussing uh, earlier tonight um, I've I've had the experience with rugby at a very early age. I went back to it when I came to Thailand um, and, and made a lot of good friends in Thailand from that. A lot of expat friends, a lot of guys who are now I have their backs, they have my backs. Um, and the same thing, as soon as I went on the first project with IGS, I was on a, a elevated scaffold um, blasting the water walls on, on a boiler shitting myself but going no nah, I mean I know how to do this job I know how to blast I've never done it up here 40 well, feet I, I know how to deal with being uncomfortable yeah I think is the theme and and, and that's the main thing is, is is I I don't shy away from getting my hands dirty I get stuck in and that's come from rugby yeah. um, you know that that's come from you know don't leave your mate behind. Get in and support him. All of that kind of stuff that has <laughs> always been like drilled into you when you're in a rugby field, and you just use it automatically when you're doing your job. Yeah, and that makes complete sense to me. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. It's one thirty. <laughs> yeah. All right, gents. Well, we've I got a busy day tomorrow, as we've already well, discussed. Well, we're, we're going to adventure. We're going to leverage our our big bull nuts that we deliver uh, developed from playing rugby. Yeah. And um, thank you guys. We're going to sleep being a in. Part we're going to forget and about tomorrow. We're going <laughs> to miss the, the, the tour. Yeah. Real, Just really one, one, one closing one closing thing, you know. And you may both already know this, people who may be listening, may already know this. Um, you mentioned soccer, and you mentioned football. And soccer is referred to as what the UK referred to as football, yeah? Do you understand or know where the origins of that comes from? Because until recently, I always thought that it was like, it's an Americanism, you know? It's like soccer is, you know, it's what the Americans call football because they have American football. The, the Australians have Australian rules football. So all these other people 
outside of the UK typically refer to football as soccer. And even though rugby is rugby football. Correct. Yeah. So, but soccer is actually, it goes back to it, the English roots. It has roots in English. And, and it goes back to the differences in, in when football was first formed, you had traditional football and you had association football. And it's like rugby league and rugby union. Yeah, but you had this association. And then, so when people were talking about football, they were talking about football and then association football. And then, and then as, as always happens with, with words, it got shortened. So association got shortened down to soccer. And then that then got bastardized into soccer. And mm. that's where the word soccer comes from, is from association football, which is when it was trying to be um, formalized and regulated more into the traditional proper game of football with the rules and the, and the, the proper formatting of it rather than just having two jumpers and a football and you kick it through the goals. It, so, so soccer is actually probably the more proper term for football. We know it all. So, uh, and and, just and this to, is really just weird because this is almost like saying that Americans so you're saying, are right. You're saying we were right. Well, yeah, I mean, almost. When you look at it, uh, if you if you fast forward now, um, the FA, who governs the English Premier League, is the Football Association, and so to take the association that that Phil was just mentioning, the Football Association is the ones who are basically soccer. And they are the ones who govern the English Premier League. Hmm. So it's hmm. gone full circle. So, so yeah, so soccer is an English word. It's not an Americanism. It's not a bastardization of, of anything else. It's, but know. the name comes from the governing body. Correct. Which is... Yeah. Well, it, it, it comes from association. So it's a shortening, it's a shortening and a bastardization of, of, of association. Well, soccer, football, whatever you call it, it's... It's a sport I played for 18 years, and thank God it turned into rugby. Ah, uh, yeah. So, again, I'm the same. So, when I was growing up, so in primary school, I, I played football, and I was a big football, you know, soccer fan. Um, supported Manchester United and knew all this and did all that and whatever. As soon as I got to secondary school, um, <coughs> immediately, the second I played rugby, that was it. I f forgot all about football. Yeah. Dude, that's not a closing statement. I feel like I forgot about everything. Like, <laughs> I mean, rugby, jeez. Rugby is the be-all and end-all of sport. You want to build lifelong friendships. Should we, we all scrum in the bed right now? No. Ah, hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> Can we edit that out of this? <laughs> Never. Uh, Somebody always has to spoil things. It always has to be. I mean, it's just wow. getting a little bit too much. I had to put it in there. Not in you. What in can you. we say? <laughs> wow. Well, thank you, guys. I think it turned out well. Yeah, that's Appreciate that's, you. That, that's how you fuck up a podcast. 